It's ball talk. It's ball talk, baby. 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 It is currently Saturday, November 27th at 9.15 a.m. I'm your host, John Sock, and as always, I'm joined by my main man, Chaz Jurgens. Chaz, how are you doing today? You know who it is. Oh, it's, a, it's a beautiful day here down in, uh, down in Delaware, right by the beach. Just enjoy it, living it up. The sun's out, a little windy, but much nicer than it is back home in Montreal. So appreciating the, the time down, down in the States for the holidays. Down in the D, baby. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, love to hear it. Uh, I love that as soon as you go to the States, I leave the States. And I believe you are coming back the day after I come down. So that's... Yeah. We are great at timing this. Haven't seen you in way too long, buddy. <laughs> it's um, all good. We got to keep a, a ball talk correspondent in the States at all times, you know? It's the rules. Otherwise, we have to dissolve the company because we definitely have yeah. the company set up. I definitely did that. I'm definitely not, <laughs> definitely not slacking on that right now. Um, <laughs> ball talk Co. coming soon. <laughs> ball talk TM, Ball talk Limited, everything on the way. Ball talk Incorporated, Ball talk, ball talk, ball talk the t shirt, Ball talk the lunchbox, Ball talk the flamethrower. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> ball talk bobbleheads and the adorable ball talk the doll <laughs> um <laughs> all right but what we actually do here <laughs> what we actually do here besides merchandising 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 is talk about basketball we got to watch ucla gonzaga a couple days ago really really awesome game we got to watch gonzaga duke mm-hmm. yesterday that was actually a much more fun game than the ucla that game but all that's to say is we got to watch the Gonzaga team play a bunch of top-level talent, which was awesome. Mm. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the guys we saw, talk about a little bit about some of the matchups. Uh, and we're going to talk about uh, the Houston Rockets, who yeah. are surprisingly in the news with weird, weird stuff. People are saying fire Steven Silas. People are saying trade for Ben Simmons. And I'm just like, can we all just take a step back and look at the bigger picture? Mm-hmm. So we're going to take a step back and look at the bigger picture. Hey, and, and depending on how many games this Rockets team continues to lose, there there will be noise later in the season that a college team can beat them, and it will be lies, but somebody's going to say it. Hey, this Duke team, this Duke team high key is bigger than most most NBA teams. <laughs> if if there ever was an NCAA team that could beat an NBA team, I think it would be this Duke squad just because they're the only NCAA team that I've seen in quite a long time that can match up physically with an NBA team. I mean, I, I do think Anthony Davis and Kentucky would have a word or two to say about that, but... Didn't they have, like, the Harrison twins at guard? I think that was a little bit after, but, yeah. What was that team? What was that? I, I, yeah. There was definitely a John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins Kentucky team, too, though. <laughs> Fair enough. Just just to say, I mean, on pure physicality, this this yeah. this Duke team is just massive. They are... It's, it's, it's a very... Uh, I don't think they would win. I don't think they would win. I don't even think they'd put up a real fight. I'm just saying if there was a team, this Duke team mm-hmm. is one of the teams that I'd look at and be like, maybe because they're just not going to get, they're not going to get bullied the same way every other NCAA team would ever. Like, oh yeah, yeah. let's just mismatch hunt. Oh wait, we don't need to hunt mismatches. We have 40 pounds in every player on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that's a great transition, but I want to talk UCLA first. Yeah. And I'm going to own it. So I watched the Gonzaga-Duke game. The sh- I, I did not – I'm at home. I don't have my usual TV and all that. So I didn't have the same great quality uh, visual uh, setup that I usually get. 
a little bit grainy. I'm gonna have to rewatch the game on Synergy. It's a little early today to have rewatched the whole game. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna be rewatching it over the weekend, but I still got a little bit from this game. And I still got a little bit from the other Duke tape that I've been able to watch this year. Uh, but Chaz, you got to watch that game too, right? Yeah, I got to watch a little bit more of the the UCLA or not the UCLA, the Zaga Duke game last night. Perfect. So you're gonna be you're you're gonna lead that discussion. Um, I, uh, I I'm gonna be honest. I hadn't watched any Gonzaga games until the UCLA game, just because reasons. But the the Bulldogs are awesome. <laughs> they trounced the UCLA team with a bunch of players that I really like. Uh, there are at least six players on that floor that I believe are likely to get drafted this year if they declare for the for the for the draft. Uh, three for UCLA, in uh, Peyton Watson, Johnny Juzang, and Jaime Watkins Jr., who all might be first round picks. And for Gonzaga, it's Chet Holmgren, Drew Timmy, and Andrew Nemhard, who all might be first round picks. Nemhard a little bit less so than the other first two. Uh, really, just Nemhard and Timmy aren't that super likely. I think Timmy should be an end of first, but whatever. Uh, I want to talk. More about the Zag guys than UCLA guys, mm-hmm. but I we started writing this. I'm like, let's talk Zags UCLA. Oh, let's talk Duke too because we're gonna have the Duke game have gone on by then. I, I, uh, we, we we can go through it. Uh, the Duke game yesterday was a much tighter 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 battle. Paolo yeah. Boncaro had 20 first first half points. Chet Holmgren uh, did not have himself as good a game as uh, Paolo, and everyone's on Paolo. Paolo first overall pick. Paolo first overall pick. And I just need everyone to take a second and remember the appeal of Chet Holmgren isn't the now. (laughs) Paolo Bancaro has 50 pounds on him. We knew this. Paolo Bancaro should have gone off against Chet. Mm -hmm. I don't know where everyone's like, oh, man, he took it straight to Chet's chest and put it in. Chet's like 150 pounds. Okay, I could, I could get, a, I could get a nice like driving layup through Chet. Actually, mm-hmm. I can't because his wingspan is a whole foot and a half longer than mine. It doesn't matter how hard I body him, when his his one arm is longer than my far shoulder to my to my far hand. There's no body on ball away for me against Chet. There's no body on ball away for 99% of players against Chet. Paolo Boncaro got one. Huge. Yes. Is Paolo my number one prospect after the game? Probably, yeah. but <laughs> let's not forget why we why people like Chet Holmgren. Mm-hmm. And also on the rest of that of that uh, Duke squad, you had AJ Griffin, um, Mark William, and uh, oh come on, I'm forgetting one guy's name. Wendell Moore, the guard. Wendell Moore. Are, are you sure there's not one more? Trevor Keels. Yeah. Keels is good. They 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 they've, they've got players. Mm-hmm. Um. They got they got players on that on that Duke squad. I, they they really could have so many guys that get drafted this year, and I would not be shocked. I liked what I saw from Mark Williams, also uh, IMG alum. Mm-hmm. No, I mean this Duke team they they looked really good, honestly. I, from what I was seeing from Paolo and Wendell Moore, especially as the the two kind of leading pieces of their offense, it seemed like they were getting a lot of movement, a lot of good attacks to the rim. They create space on the floor really well, and for for a Duke squad that there's been a lot of talk about the, the switch since Coach K and how much they'll be able to continue the, the program and the dynasty. It doesn't really look like they've missed much of a beat. They're out there doing as much as they can. And it's a, it was a very impressive win from them to, to go up and get to the Zaga team that people already thought was maybe going to go undefeated for like two years in a row. The, to have a early win this season and a great competitive game. I mean, everyone on the call was talking about how the game was in Vegas and it felt like a heavyweight title fight, but 
it really did feel like a, a Final Four Elite Eight matchup already. And to have it this early in the season is a, a great test for both these teams. I'm sure both these coaches are thrilled to have their players have gone through something like this so early. Because the way that Paolo and the way that Wendell played for Duke in a game that you really didn't think that they were going to necessarily be in the competition as much, but they really stepped up and showed like, hey, look, we are high-level talent. This is a, a very competitive team, and we're not stepping down from anybody. We're ready to go beat anybody in the nation. So this Blue Devils team should feel like they are all the way back at the top right now, I feel like. Yeah, I feel like there's no way that Duke isn't number one after this game, uh, obviously yeah. because they beat the number one. But just to say, I don't know how they weren't. I don't know how they were five, <laughs> and I actually don't even know how they weren't three. Like I, I, I liked, I liked Purdue a lot. Yeah, I liked they Purdue beat a the lot. absolute breaks yesterday. <laughs> they beat a team by like fifty. Yeah, no, I, I would have Purdue at three now, but I would have had to make Purdue prove it over Duke. Duke, mm -hmm. in my opinion, should have gotten the be same benefit of the doubt that Purdue got. I would have had Duke three at the lowest. If yeah. you wanted to put them at four below Purdue, I could have understood that. I don't. I did not understand putting them at five below Kansas. And Kansas got rocked by Dayton yesterday, so I, I feel vindicated. <laughs> um, I think we're going to see some big shakeups in the AP, and I'm very excited for that, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to go through some of these UCLA guys yeah. first. Uh, UCLA was ranked two. Uh, it felt I felt like it was a lot on uh, respect, which I got. Clearly, they lost it, losing by twenty to Gonzaga, mm -hmm. and then Gonzaga losing to Duke. By the way, I just want to say, crazy, crazy cojones to the Gonzaga schedulers for booking games against UCLA and Duke within a week. Yeah. Like, That's... it was, it, what was their schedule? They played, like, it was Duke, Bellarmine. It was UCLA, Bellarmine, Duke, I believe. That is, yeah, I mean, this this Gonzaga team, they've been been playing competitive games. I'm, Mark Few is looking like a coach who might end up going down in all time as one of the greatest college coaches. And I'm sure he's gets, gets on his scheduling people to make sure that they have some tough games early because... That's the best way to get tested, especially for a lot of these young guys, to, to make sure, see what type of team you have, see what type of guys you have in your locker room, and get these hard games in early so that the rest of the season you've got these these tough losses or these big wins to rely on to continue motivating you throughout your whole season. I just want to say I was wrong. It was they played they played UCLA on Tuesday. They played Gonzaga. They played Duke yesterday. They play Alabama on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> Which, to be fair, is a week from now. They have one game over this next week. You couldn't have played Tarleton State yesterday and Duke on Monday? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Just to say, yes, I'm very sad. Yes, of course, you have to put Duke number one for beating Gonzaga. But losing by three when yeah. you didn't have a week to prepare where you were sitting there scouting UCLA so hard, clearly you came out with a mm -hmm. much more uh, ready game against UCLA. I don't know. I get. I. I. I'm not writing off the loss, but I'm saying it's tough to have two marquee matchups like this, and now they're getting ready for Bama. Yeah. Craziness. I want to talk about some of these UCLA guys, and then I want to talk about some of the Zag guys, and then I want to talk about some of the Duke guys. So mm -hmm. I want to talk about first about UCLA. They have three guys that I mentioned as potential uh, potential draft people. Peyton Watson. Yep. Was uh, someone who people thought could be a lottery pick. And he honestly has not impressed me yet this season with his performance. 
but he looks the part of an NBA player, and he seems to make the right decision on the court more often than not. He's six foot eight with a seven foot wingspan, and he can actually dribble the ball. Mm-hmm. It's not hard to see why people still consider Watson a lottery pick candidate despite his struggles. But at a certain point, not putting up points in game after game after game is going to hold him back. Yeah, there's only so much Draymond Green you can you can be in college without actually scoring and people believing that you'll be able to translate that into a, a competitive and very lottery-level talent into the NBA. Like, it's very hard to do that type of stuff, just get rebounds and impact the game and play good defense, move the ball. Eventually, you are going to have to be able to, to show that you can reliably hit down an outside shot or at least get to the basket, draw fouls. Like, there's there's some sort of offense that needs to be contributed to the game. It can't just be hey, we're going to go out here and play as hard as we can because that's literally what every single person does every second they step on the floor. And so for Peyton, I mean, he's he's still definitely got a long season ahead of him to, to continue to improve and find his rhythm in that UCLA offense and, and try to take control of that second unit. But, yeah, it's gonna he is going to need to vastly improve his offensive output for him to remain, I think, in the lottery throughout this season because – there's plenty of guys all over the country that are that are coming for those lottery contracts. And that that uh, that blisteringly hot 11 percentage three 11 percentage three point shooting yeah. is gonna hold them back. Shooting 36 percent from the field is gonna hold them back. He's still playing only 15 minutes a game right now, but other than his game against Bellarmine, where he or yeah Bellarmine where he put up 19 points, he's a Bellarmine team that <laughs> has struggled a lot more than they did last season. He's got three zero-point games and a six-point game, and that one 19-point game. It's it, it's been a tough go for Peyton Watson. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping maybe maybe this this Thanksgiving break, maybe the the Christmas break, he'll come back, energized, be able to get himself back on track, because he still is a very interesting prospect. The other two guys on Gonzaga, on Duke, on UCLA. Oh my God, we're talking about too many teams. Uh, UCLA are guys that I know a little bit. I, I, I've been following for quite a little while. We remember them both from last year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I did, I, did a, I did a serious breakdown on one of them, and I did uh, I'm a serious fan of the other. So I'm going to start with the one that I'm a fan of in Johnny Juzang. He was a superstar of last year's March Madness. He has not lost a beat this season, averaging over 18 points a game, shooting over 35% from three on around six attempts a game. I still mm-hmm. think his best role in the NBA would be a sixth man who comes in and brings a burst of energy off the bench. But one thing that I looked at is just how few teams still employ players like that. That role is becoming a bit of a dying breed in a lot of ways. Very few teams still rely on that. They usually are now staggering their starters instead, a la Chicago with uh, DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine. And I, mm-hmm. that's probably a reason why his stock hasn't improved that much from last season. People were hoping to see more on defense this season. He just hasn't shown that. He looks a little more yeah, together, no, I, but not enough to be at that level, in my opinion. Yeah, no, that's. I think the the <laughs> knock on Johnny Juzang at this point is that he's kind of just he he's scoring the ball incredibly well, and we know he can do that. But the thing is, is that in the NBA, it is going like eighteen a game in college is not going to translate to the NBA nearly the same way. And like you mentioned, the the six man microwave score is sort of a dying breed because it looks like teams are. Yes, staggering starters, also employing just a lot more ball movement 
and just pick and roll isolations and letting everyone kind of create out of like two guard, three guard sets off of their bench units is what a lot of teams are trending towards right now, instead of just having one focal point and everyone else kind of moving around helping him. So mm-hmm. not that Johnny still can't be a major piece of a, a second unit or a score in the, the same way that we kind of saw Jordan Poole struggle in his first few years in the NBA and now is an absolute front runner for most improved. but. Yeah, Johnny Juzang on the defensive end is where he's really going to be able to improve his draft stock. Like, if he gets up to, to 25, 26 points a game in the tournament, yes, people are going to look at that and say, okay, he is a certified bucket getter, but that's kind of the, the trait he's already built up for himself. And it's his ability to get in the two-way and get more into passing lanes, be able to read defenses a little bit better that's really going to help improve him and can skyrocket him into a, a top five, top ten spot in this year's draft. Yeah, I don't think there's I, – I, I... I love you. I don't see any way he gets, he gets that far. Right now, I think Johnny's just trying to show that he can be even a first-round pick. And the, mm-hmm. the, the discussion for Johnny in terms of declaring, I mean, I, I, I follow him. I follow Jaime Watkins on, on Instagram. And they're both, like, racking in that NIL money right now. Yes, sir. That is, that, that's something where we should – do, do we want to talk about that after Drew Timmy or do we want to talk about that right now? I mean, you might as well. These guys are living in L.A., making as much money as they want right now, essentially. <laughs> a lot of these – so the NIL money is actually pouring in. And if you think about it, if you if you think about it, you make more money with NIL than you do as a second-round pick unless you get that guaranteed yeah. deal. So if you don't have some mm-hmm. team coming down and telling you, yeah, we're going to give you a guaranteed deal, we're going to give you this much money on your contract no matter what, I get why you stay in college. To go and to go yeah. and play on a two-way, I have it on one of my salary cap sheets. But to go on a two-way contract this season, your maximum money that you can make is three hundred thousand dollars if you're on a two-way, mm. which still is a lot of money. I would I would do anything great, for that much money right money. now. <laughs> I would do quite. I would do almost anything for that much money. But that's assuming you play forty-five <laughs> days in the in the NBA. You use all your two-way days, which probably you won't. It's yeah. unlikely that you do it as a second-round pick because they mm-hmm. don't want to have to run out of two-way days on you. You're probably going to use 44, 43, 40. So you're probably looking at a little bit less than that. NIL money is reaching way more than that. There's a kid on Tennessee making half a mil, if I remember right. Yeah. What's his I name? mean, what is it? Percy Siren's son is making like $2 million from some that's, fake company. Like. That's the one. That's the one. They still have an intern opportunity from fall 2017. So if you're a time traveler, you can go get in on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so for guys like Drew Zhang, guys like Juarez, guys like Drew Timmy, all these guys that are like, oh yeah, we're gonna be mid round, mid second round players. We're gonna do a lot. Of, we're gonna get two way contract. I get staying in the NCAA. You get to be a superstar. You're the yeah. big man on campus. You're having a great time. You're doing whatever you want. Essentially, mm-hmm. I, I I cannot imagine the amount of free stuff that they get on campus. <laughs> I cannot imagine the easy, the easy A's that they are getting in their classes. And if they're mm. interested, I mean, UCLA is a top school in the nation. Yeah. Like, that is still a free education from one of the best schools in the nation. You're there all summer. You're there for a good chunk of the summer, too. You could take your summer classes, too. Mm-hmm. For Where real, else like, would you want to go? I mean, you train all summer. You have ball on the whole, whole school year. Mm-hmm. You get to stay there, make half a million to a million dollars pretty much every year off the NIL. And then... You could also, at the end of it, have a four-year degree from one of the best schools in the country and still be, have the eligibility to go into the NBA. So there's a lot of things that the NIL has provided for, for the NCA that I think is going to be very beneficiary. It's a little bit crazy how it's been going around. I think there's still 
a lot of a lot of tweaks and changes that are going to be made through to the NIL in the next few years and but so far for guys like you mentioned who are going to be late mid or late second round picks maybe even late first round picks are just guys who are the big man on campus you know Drew Timmy is probably the one of the fan favorites of the entire NCAA and I'm sure the entire campus of Gonzaga loves this guy he's probably can make half a million dollars just selling t-shirts with him and his mustache like Drew Timmy can make a lot of money on merch alone Johnny Juzang the same Jaime Jaquez the same so there's a lot of opportunities now for guys staying in college that yes you could do a lot of that in the NBA but you don't have necessarily the same rabid fan base as you would when you're still in college playing for the college because once you leave, they really don't care about you as much anymore. No, no. <laughs> and right now, right now, I checked. Drew Timmy's a Boost Mobile athlete. <laughs> Let's go. That's big. <laughs> That's a national brand. Yeah. These, these, these guys are making money. Mm-hmm. All about it. Uh, NIL, best thing that could happen for college athletics. Um, and especially for guys like Juzang and Waquez who are California guys. I get the idea of staying for an extra year. I get it. You're making that money. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to Waquez. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, yeah, let's move on to Waquez. He's draft Twitter's darling. He's a versatile do-it-all wing with no exploitable weaknesses in his game. I, I did a whole breakdown on him, and then he was getting first-round grades, and I'm like, oh, I don't need this. But now he's, not getting, now he's getting that early second grade, and I'm like, okay, I can still do this breakdown. I can still send this out. This is still going to be interesting to people. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll do a nice little uh, – maybe I'll post my uh, Jaime Waquez Jr. breakdown at some point. Check Jay-Z Sock for all the, the breakdowns and trades. Follow me on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> um, analytics Twitter went on a tirade against Waquez after this game against Gonzaga, and it was honestly the most shameful search from analytics Twitter I've seen in a long time, and that's a lot because analytics Twitter sucks. Analytics Twitter is like almost similar to cancel culture for sports fans. It's, it's wild it, how much they just go off sometimes on absolutely nothing. If you ever wonder why professional athletes hate writers, go look at analytics Twitter. That's why. If you ever wonder why they call it, why they call us blog boys or pawns or whatever, <laughs> analytics Twitter. Yeah. It's all their fault. Entirely on analytics Twitter, actually. There's no one I blame more than analytics Twitter for why the athletes don't like the media. Um, no, not literally. But it was shameful. They, they were talking about his mid-range games. I'm like, stop, stop. Like, just stop. They're blaming Waquez as if that's the reason that they lost by 20. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> it was it was embarrassed. It was an embarrassment. Mm. Uh, so Waquez is getting mocked in the late first and early second right now. Uh, in a lot of ways, I'd compare his game, like the style of his game, to Franz Wagner. I don't think that they're super comparable as players, but in terms of like what you're going to want them to do, like their role on the floor, it's going to be pretty similar. They're both uh, three, four wings that play smart defense, especially off the ball and shooting open threes. They both are able to do a great job of positioning them. They both do a great job positioning themselves and being in the right spot for steals, weak side help, in terms of like their off ball defense and all that. Franz is a much better athlete than Waquez. Franz's arms are much longer. Franz's shot is when it's on is much better than Waquez's. Not that Waquez is a bad shooter by any means. Mm. I think Waquez is one of the best off-the-dribble shooters in the NCAA. And from the tape I was watching, that guy does one-dribble pull-ups like no one else. Yeah, that, that pump fake one-dribble step pull-up is absolutely automatic from, 
from Jaime. It's crazy to see how much he gets that off. It doesn't matter how much you can test it. As soon as he gives you that pump on the one dribble, you know it's going up and it's still going down. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Synergy had has him at like in the top 85 percent for that shot. Like yeah. the entire NCAA is one of the top 15 percent people with that shot by percentage. On the perimeter, mm-hmm. Wake is able to stay in front of his man with quick feet. And in the post, he's done much better than you'd expect from someone who's only 6'7". If you watch the tape from last year's yeah. March Madness, he was able to stop Hunter Dickinson in the post multiple times on switches. The dude could actually stop people in the post. His strength, yeah. his positioning, his wingspan, he stops people in the post. He did not do as good a job on Drew Timmy as you would hope, but I also think Drew Timmy is one of the, if not the best, scoring bigs in the NCAA right now. And he made Evan Mobley look like a bad defender, and everyone's in love with Evan Mobley right now. And Evan Mobley was Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year, so. And I mean. he made and he and he made Evan Mobley look so bad at defense. So guess what? I'm not blaming Walkers for that. Yeah, no, I mean Jaime is a, a guy that obviously I definitely fell in love with during the, their UCLA run last year, and to to see him come out this season and continue to to show improvements and the stuff that he clearly needs to to continue to improve in, but also maintaining his level of defense and ability to move around all over the floors is very promising. I mean, the way I see him play is that I'm a huge fan of what he does all over the floor. He's, like you mentioned, his defensive ability, he can switch pretty much everything. Hunter Dickinson is an absolutely massive guy. And the way he played him in the post last year against Michigan was very impressive. He used his legs really well, his arms, his positioning to play guys in the post. And then on the perimeter, he could slide around, he could move with It's, it's he shows a lot of promise in the NBA. I think is can just down an open here. Hold on, I think we're losing chat right ability now. that aspect. Yeah, Chaz, we lost you for a second yeah, there. Okay, I'm, back. Um, I'm gonna take over. Um, I hope you can hear me. You look very oh, funny good. on the picture, so that's yeah. really good. Um, but yeah, Watkins is someone who has a lot of potential to just slide into that role of, he's someone who I, I'm surprised he's not getting that, that, er, that late first grade from everybody. Cause he's someone who's going to walk in and fit in on a team. I don't see a team that can't use mm-hmm. a player like him right now. And look, obviously there's going to be growing pains. Maybe he's an early second. Then you signed to that four year MLE deal, uh, three year MLE deal, three plus the, the four minus one deal. All of those things. He's someone who I think is going to be incredibly useful in the NBA. Maybe not a superstar, but he's going to be a good mm-hmm. player, have a good long career. And honestly, once you're picking outside of 14, that's a that's a good trait to have. Yeah. Let's get to Gonzaga. Yeah, and I mean, oh, the sorry. thing I think the thing I think that he just could really improve on to to skyrocket himself is just his his vision on the floor, his playmaking, a little bit of his ball handling, because he does. A decent job of moving the ball around, but seeing him be able to create a little bit more with the ball in his hands if they ever give him an opportunity to, or just make a, a few just imp- very impressive reads on the perimeter is what I think is going to help a lot of people really see what he can do. Because once he starts finding that aspect of his game, then he's got everything you could ever want from a guy who's going to be on your team for hopefully the next 15 years. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and he's someone who makes who, who I, I, I like a lot on the perimeter. But you're right. He doesn't make those super advanced reads. He doesn't like create. He doesn't make the uh, mm-hmm. kind of reads that change the game. Uh, are like changing the play up. He doesn't make these advanced reads. He likes to make. He makes the good reads. He makes the smart reads. He makes the smart passes. 
he doesn't have that that that, that element of I'm gonna find you on this cut cut right here. Yeah, all that which stuff. Is, which mm-hmm. honestly, good for college. <laughs> good for college, and it's good for someone who who's gonna know his role in the NBA, but not great for your draft stock. Yeah, I'm excited for Waquez though. I'd love to see him on my team or any team. Uh, let's yeah. do Zags next. Chet Holmgren looks all the parts of a number one overall pick. Yeah. Uh, against UCLA, he showed he could score everywhere on the floor. He contested shots everywhere, flying in for help side blocks. There's one play going viral where he helped on a drive, flip his feet well, and then rotated down and blocked UCLA's Miles Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, him and Paolo Boncaro both deserving the first overall pick. People like to say last year that they were three number one overall picks, which just wasn't true. <laughs> Jalen Green and Evan Mobley were not going number Sam Vazzini did a good breakdown. Sam, they're... Jalen Green and Evan Mobley would go first overall in one of the last 10 NBA drafts. <laughs> <laughs> they would have gone first overall in the Anthony Edwards draft, and that's it. They might have not even gone first overall in that draft. I thought you were going to say the Anthony Bennett draft. Oh, that one too. There was two, actually. You're right. <laughs> Maybe there was third also. But all that has to say is, no, they were not number one overall picks in every other year. Paolo, whoever goes number two in this draft would have gone number one overall most NBA drafts since Anthony Davis. Yeah. Yeah. Look, that's that's just a that's flat the flat-out truth. Mm-hmm. That's just a flat-out truth, whether it's Boncaro or Chet. Who, whichever one's going second, I would have taken them first overall almost every year since since Anthony Davis. I'm not going to go through every year and do, do the whole thing. There would have at least mm-hmm. been a much, a much more serious conversation than there was with Jalen Green and Evan Mobley. Yeah. Um, look, Chet obviously did not look as amazing yesterday against against Duke. Clearly, was a little bothered by the uh, by the size of those guys. Didn't mm-hmm. well, his three point shot wasn't falling, but he still did have some great great dunks, uh, jumping over guys, um, and making some good uh, some good shots from the uh, from the post on some pull ups. He mm-hmm. still got his his work in, but he did struggle a little bit. I get it. Yeah, what you I mean, expect from a guy who's two hundred pounds and seven foot two. Yeah, two hundred pounds, seven two, freshman in college, going out there against one of the best teams in the country, one of the best run or programs in the country. Then you can't, you just can't expect him to have a monster game every single game. Especially he struggled when he a had lot. a monster game last game against UCLA. Yeah, like he struggled a lot against his Duke team, especially in the first half. They kind of figured it out in the second half and was a little bit more competitive, but. You saw in the, the announcers on the call did a great job of pointing out too, like Duke did everything they could to always put Chet Homerum in the ball pick and rolls, just and he's diving everything, he's ducking underneath everything, and it allows bigger, stronger guys to catch it in a short roll and just attack him in the chest, and that's going to be something that he's going to struggle with a little bit this year, and that's kind of just the reality of who Chet Holmgren is, and I think that's something that UCLA or not UCLA, sorry, Gonzaga is going to start experimenting a little bit more with maybe Holmgren and Timmy out there and let Chet play a little bit more of the perimeter. Like people are already saying he could be a, a three or a four or three in the NBA. So it's something that I think might get experimented with throughout the season because he I, will get beat up in the post. Like that is going to happen. But I if mean, they let him play the perimeter a little bit more, he might not get forced into all those switches. I mean, for me, one of the things that I'm looking at that, I'm, that, that, that makes it tough is because I do think that Chet is going to play the four, at least for the short term. Mm-hmm. At least until, at least against against bigger matchups, he's likely going to be the four. Against a team, if 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 when he's in the league, he's playing a team that's similar to Duke in terms of oh, we've got a massive center, we've got a massive power forward. Shut Chet's going to be playing power forward. Mm-hmm. 
one of the issues is he doesn't have a weak a weak side help help rim protector because he's playing next to Drew Timmy. And I love yeah. Drew Timmy, but Drew Timmy is not known for his weak side help. Drew mm -hmm. Timmy is not a guy who can come in and position himself under the rim and and help you on defense. So Chet can't really sell out for a charge. He can't in that short roll, he can't position himself properly and take the charge because Paolo Bancaro is advanced. Paolo yeah. Bancaro is a very advanced player. He's going to do a little Euro around, bring it up, go on, go for a nice fancy finish. Mm -hmm. And you know what? If Chet Holmgren had a second Chet Holmgren, <laughs> if it was Drew Timmy in the pick and roll with Chet Holmgren on the weak side help, that's getting thrown off the glass. Mm -hmm. That Boncaro fancy layup is getting thrown right off the glass. That's not the reality. He's got Drew Timmy. Drew Timmy cannot get all the way up to put some to put a to put a Boncaro layup off the glass. So because he doesn't have that backside help, he can't really sell it for the charges, which is why he's going to look tough. He's why you're going to put him in these short rolls because he doesn't have the help to cover up. He doesn't have the help to sell out for a charge because he can't be left. He he's he cannot be left out of position like that. Yeah, because these uh, guys are ready for those for the, the these these the Boncaros of the world are ready for Chet to take a charge, and they're yeah. just going to go right around him. Yeah, and I think that's something that. We're gonna hear it probably throughout this whole season. People are gonna be be degrading Chet because of his defense and and lowering him on the mocks, just saying he can't stay in front of everyone or he can't handle the bigs or this and that. And that's something that once you get to the NBA, like anyone with half with two brain cells working together are gonna figure out like, yo, we just put someone who can play paint defense next to this guy. He he will be an automatic twenty five and ten a night. Like there's just nothing else. And not even paint defense. It's, it's not even that he needs someone who can play paint defense. It's just gonna be on the matchups. If you have him at the four, if you have him at the four, you're gonna have someone who's ready for weak side help. Yeah. That's just not a thing that doesn't happen in the NBA. Mm -hmm. it, except for on bench units, which is fine because you're not gonna be able to hunt Holmgren. You're not gonna be able to hunt Chet as well. He's, it's going to be easier for him to take that charge. He can play drop. He'll have a guard that's more athletic and can fight over the screen better. You're just going to have better players around him that are going to be able to help make up for the other for the, for your team's defense. They're going to be able to make up for the guy around for if you don't have another rim protector on the floor with Chet. You're going to have guards yeah. that can fight around. You're going to be able to make up for the fact that Chet is really light and can't really just get, get can't really just body up on people. Mm -hmm. And I think his offensive game that we've seen so far this season, it's, it's undeniable the level of talent and skill set that he has for being someone as lanky as he is and as tall as he is to put the ball on the floor the way he does, make passes, make plays, his cuts to the rim and finishing at the rim through contact, with contact, not really shying away from anything underneath is very impressive for someone of his size. So the way that he's been able to, to continue to show his offensive game into college now and the transition has seemed pretty pretty effortless for him in a very well-run Gonzaga program. So it's going to be in incredible to see what he's able to continue to do because I really think that this is just the beginning of him. Like, so this is just the very first seven games of the season. You know, like he's got another 30 games to learn with these guys and the system and continue to develop and adjust his game to a college and NBA speed. So it's going to be incredible to see what he can do once he's really going at full gear here at Gonzaga. Yeah, and he's got plenty of time to figure that out. That three-point shot will fall eventually. He was too good a three-point shooter to be shooting 31% on the season so far. Yeah. Um, let's move on to Timmy and then let's move through these a little faster. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, we're probably not going to go through all the Duke guys. Maybe we'll only do Boncaro and we'll do the other. We'll do the mm -hmm. other guys quickly. 
Uh, Drew Timmy did really well against against UCLA, and he was also pretty good against Duke. Not not especially yeah. amazing against Duke, but he 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 did, he did his job. Um, he got into some serious foul trouble, but he did have 17, 5, and 5. Look, he abuses mismatches everywhere. Everyone against UCLA, anyone who tried to guard him looked stupid. Against Duke, he still got his and had people looking just dumb. I had him as a very early second or a late first last year. I doubt he builds a stock higher than that with um, just his, not, his non-switching on the perimeter on defense. But I, I really mm -hmm. think he's the kind of big that you can bring off the bench to change up your game style, sort of like a Frank Kaminsky on the Suns. Maybe if he was hitting that three-point shot, that would really solidify him in that spot. But I still think he's someone who I would take off the bench just to come in and change up the game flow for me a bit. You know, if I'm the Sacramento Kings and I want to have someone come off the bench, I, I still want a talented big off the bench to sort of, sort of make up for taking Rashawn Holmes off the floor. I would look to a guy like Drew Timmy. Mm -hmm. I mean, Drew to me reminds me a lot of a guy who got drafted last year to the Pistons and just kind of throwing it out there. A Luka Garza type big where, yes, he probably won't have an immediate impact on your franchise, but if you bring him into your team, undoubtedly he's going to work hard. He's going to up the morale. He seems like he's a great locker room chemistry guy to have around your team, have around your guys. And he will give you everything he's got for every second you play him. And then also, you never know how much you can develop into the NBA. You know, like if an outside shot does, does start to pop up here or there, or those post moves become a little bit more refined. He's going to be able to go get buckets against any backup big in the league for the most part. And like you mentioned, especially for teams who have big dominant physical defensive centers, maybe, or just someone who's used to stretching the floor or banging inside, having a guy like Drew Timmy who could do a little bit of both or either, and, and then also be able to just bring a little bit of extra flair and energy to a second unit is something that a lot of teams can really use and can be a spark plug for teams off the bench. So the way that he's been playing for Gonzaga the past last year, this year already, he shows that he's a, a great glue guy for a team. I think he's going to be an incredible chemistry guy, and that's something that can never be overrated in the in pro sports. I think that's hugely important for especially winning and championship teams. Like You love having guys like that in your locker room who are going to always give you 100% and also bring as much energy and effort to practice and to team meetings and to everything like that, not only their time on the floor. Yeah, and I think just Drew Timmy is better than Luka Garza. Yeah. That. I mean, I think Luka Garza has the advantage of I shoot threes and I'm way bigger. Mm -hmm. But True Timmy is just a much more complete offensive player at everything except for shooting threes. Yeah. Love Drew Timmy. Love me some Drew Timmy. I'd love to see mm -hmm. him in the league. Uh, Andrew Nemhard really impressed me with his shooting and athleticism in the UCLA game. Didn't especially stand out to me in the first half of the Gonzaga game. Didn't especially. He had 6, 11, and 8, though. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should have hit it. I, he had a good game. He had a good game. It just struck, uh, I, it was tough for me because my stream was really really grainy. Damn. So I yeah I I don't like being I, I love being home but uh, <laughs> the ability to watch ball struggle so I'm I'm gonna have to watch that whole game with energy. Uh, I think that he's been controlling the game a lot better, a lot better mm -hmm. than he did last year. Last year kind of looked like the game was controlling him. This year he kind of looks like he's controlling the game. It's really good. Could be building himself up as a second round pick prospect. Likely is gonna come back to school. But he's someone to keep an eye on. The athleticism is real. The shooting is there. Comes and goes, but it's there. There is a shot there. Mm -hmm. And just a nice Canadian boy. We love the Canadians. Yeah, I was going to say, a, a Canadian guard, you know, we love to see it. And um, Yeah, I mean, he, he definitely struggled scoring the ball yesterday. But the way I saw him get the 
get his team involved, get the play running, get a lot of movement. And a lot of what Gonzaga does is just get the ball up as quickly as possible. So he seems like he's a great guard for that, to just push the pace, continue to make good reads at full speed. And that's something that's incredibly valuable in the NBA. Like There are so many times in that Gonzaga-Duke game where they would cut to a replay of a Duke basket, and by the time the replay was over, Gonzaga already scored on the other end because mm. Nemhard just gets the ball out of bounds, gets the inbound, and gets up the floor as soon as possible, or he gets it to somebody who's already up the floor. So that's a skill that I think he's going to continue to improve. And as long as that playmaking's there, you said the shot's going to be there, whether it hits or not. So I think he's going to be a, a very talented kid. If he goes on a big run in the tournament, maybe he declares, but one more year of college is probably a good idea for him to just continue to refine his guard skills and his shot. And there's a couple more guys like that on the, on the, on the Gonzaga team. Mm-hmm. Uh, that guy, Julian Strother, really showed out. Yeah. Um, this year, Bolton also had a really good game. Kind of shocked with how bad. Like, when you looked at this team, you're kind of shocked with how. how you're kind of shocked that they lost. <laughs> uh, on the Duke side, I'm going to move through these guys really fast. Yeah. Wendell Moore, really impressive mm-hmm. forward. He had 26 and 6 balled out. Trevor Keels was getting a lot of hype at the start of the season. He had a couple of huge games to start the season. He's kind of cooled off. His stock is kind of cooling down. Uh, I love his size. He's a wing size player playing the two in college. Strong as strong as all as all world. Mm-hmm. Uh, AJ Griffin is someone who was possibly he was getting top five, top seven mocks before the season. He had zero points last game. He doesn't do a lot of scoring. He hasn't done a lot of anything honestly in in college. Still mm-hmm. getting those looks because he's just got such NBA size. His dad was uh, an assistant coach for the Raptors. I think he still is. Um, he's, his dad's an assistant coach somewhere. He took a season or two off to just train back in high school. Is that Duke? Ball, Duke was uh, expected to ball out. Has not been. Mm-hmm. Probably still going to be a first-round pick just based on that. Maybe he comes back to school to build. I don't know. Um, Mark Williams is someone who is really interesting to me. He's getting mocked in the late first, early second. Just a massive, big body, seven-one center. Rim runs, gets buckets, gets boards. Yeah, there is still a market for those guys. And part of me says maybe you spend the late first on that. You got mm-hmm. pick number twenty-nine. You, you know, Javale McGee got five million this past year. Willie Collie yeah. Stein's getting four point two million this year. There's still a market for these rim-running centers. Maybe you grab Mark Williams with the late first. Don't know. Up there, interesting one mm-hmm. to me. And then of course, no, Mark the Williams tr- looked. Yeah, Mark oh. Williams looked really good last night. I was going to say, I was impressed. I was too. Did a great job. Uh, just a great job in the paint, being a big rim protector. Obviously, that's an easier thing to do in college, but still, still mm-hmm. an interesting, an interesting prospect to me. He's the one who I would not be shocked to see his his draft stock skyrocket or completely fall off the face of the earth by the end of the season, just in terms of. He plays a position with weird uh, that's weirdly valued, a lot like Johnny Juzang. Mm-hmm. Um, the last guy on the Duke, obviously the crown jewel of the team, is uh, Paolo Banquero. Absolute scoring machine. Score from every anywhere. 250 pounds, 6'10", physical specimen already. Uh, the defense was pretty good. Not elite, but pretty good. Mm-hmm. They clearly used a lot of scheme to try to stop Chet in the first half, and once Paolo was gone, Chet did a lot better. So that do give a lot of credit to Paolo, but I also do give a lot of credit to he's got Mark Williams, Trevor Keels, Wendell Moore, and just an NBA team around him. 
that's going to be the yeah. big swing skill, in my opinion, for Boncaro, That as people go and break down that defensive tape. Yes, a 6'10", uh, people are calling him Carmelo Anthony. I don't think his scoring is that advanced. You know, no one is a better isolation scorer than Carmelo Anthony. I don't think there's anyone who's got better footwork than Carmelo Anthony, maybe in the history of the NBA. You could, you could, you could tape a square on the floor for Carmelo Anthony, and he'd still find a way to get open and hit the shot from there. Yeah. Dude's just one of a kind. Boncaro, mm-hmm. obviously awesome. Obviously could do bring a lot to an NBA team just as a scoring threat. That defense is something that I'm looking at in terms of what his ceiling is going to be, what positions you can play him at, whether he's going to be a true four or someone who can slide around. That's, that's going to be the big swing skill for me with Boncaro. So far, it's looked really good, but I do need to watch a lot more Duke tape, and that will happen as uh, the season goes on, even though I'm deciding this year to focus more on the late first, early second, mid-second guys. But I still, I still do want to see a little more Boncaro. Yeah, I'm not going to take too long on this Duke team. There's a lot of guys I think played well, but I just wanted to highlight Wendell Moore, especially because I thought he did a lot of the, the ball handling play creating for Duke. And to see him be able to get into that more of an offensive initiator role, I think is really going to help improve his his ability to to make a carve out a role for himself in the NBA. If he can show that he can really go create baskets for other people and for himself while also playing good two-way defense, it's going to be something that's going to become very valuable very quickly. Yeah, and now we've mentioned like Boncaro and Chet Holmgren. These guys were mm-hmm. the projected top two before the draft. The lowest I saw either of them was number three, and that quickly changed once the season began. Yeah. They're consensus one and two right now. Mm-hmm. They also project to both be playing that four or five role. Neither of them look to me to be true hybrid post types due to their lack of defense, but I think they can both be like the ultimate version of John Collins. <laughs> I think Holmgren has a lot more potential to be on the de- on the defensive side if he can just put on a lot of weight. <laughs> I'm not going to specify exactly how much because I, I don't I don't know. He's so skinny still. It might be 50 pounds. It might be 150 pounds. I don't know. Um, but I still do think that they will both be able to become ultimate versions of John Collins as like a low, low ceiling. A lot of potential. The other two guys that are mm-hmm. competing for those top spots right now are Jabari Smith, a 6'10 versatile wing from Auburn. And Jalen Duran, 6'11", big from Memphis with an over 7'5 wingspan. Top of this draft is just loaded with guys that are going to be slotting in at that 4 or the 5 for teams that draft them. During our Cleveland Cavaliers offseason deep dive, we questioned the signings of Laurie Markin and Jared Allen when they, draft, when they had already drafted Evan Mobley because of these guys that were coming up, because of these guys that were projected to go in the draft. Mm-hmm. Now, Bickerstaff has done a fantastic job of getting Mobley to play his best next to the double bigs. I, was super, I thought it was impossible. But we questioned it. There are these bigs in this year's draft. Yeah. Cleveland, they haven't won in forever. They're, they're expecting to get another top pick. Pick. Why are they signing these bigs when they should be banking on adding a Holmgren or a Boncaro next to Mobley? Mm-hmm. Right now, they're a play-in team. They might stay a play-in team. They might stay a playoff team. So maybe, maybe we jump the gun on that one a bit. But I think this question applies probably 10 times more for the Houston Rockets. Yes, sir. <laughs> At their 4-5 and five slot right now, they have Christian Wood, Jay Shante, Daniel Tice, Alperin Shengun, Usman Gruba, and KJ Martin. That's six guys that I personally don't want playing the three for me for more than spot minutes during like the second quarter. What about Dan- Does Daniel House count as a 3-4 a a a little bit more? Yeah, I think he's more of a 3-4 than a 4-5. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I'll give it uh, maybe uh, I just don't know how much I want to play in the three either though I don't know how much I want him playing um after I, I'm shocked that he still has a job after the um the bubble incident that is that is crazy to me hey man I just need a little room service Jesus 
Jesus. Um, the Rockets are currently two and sixteen with win over the wins over the Red Hot Bulls and the OKC Thunder. Christian Woods' value seems to be dropping league wide. Pundits are questioning his abilities. Uh, Jalen Green is out for a week. KPJ is struggling as the de facto point guard. DJ Augustine just struggles in general. This team seems poised for a top five pick. The only question is, did the Rockets get overzealous in their rebuild and they don't have a clean role for any of these top four prospects right now? And with that, how do they fix it? I mean, you mentioned the fact that they just have so many bigs. And the, the biggest problem to me is like, other than the fact, other than Christian Wood and Daniel Tice, everyone's a, a young player who I think the Rockets really like having on their team. And having those guys already there, like you're going to have to part ways with a Jay Sean Tate or a KJ Martin maybe, or else you're just going to be making a reach or maybe someone just shows out throughout this entire college season as a guard or a forward. But it's going to be a very difficult decision for the Houston Rockets. That's a talent fit trade down in the draft. Like there's going to be a lot of options for them on draft day. Yeah. And I mean, I am really impressed with um, Purdue's Jaden Ivy, someone who I was very, I was very low on Ivy. I got to put it out there. I was very low on Ivy before the year. Very impressed with him. Number five on my number five already looking for me. I, I get it. He's awesome. Um, but I don't. I wouldn't take him over those first four guys. I don't know what Ivy can do to get into those first four guys level. It would take some serious falling off. Maybe maybe they get the Rockies get the fifth pick. Maybe the Rockies get the sixth pick, and then this all becomes nothing. But you'd expect them. That's still six players playing that that four or five role, <laughs> including two you just drafted. You mm-hmm. just drafted Garuba and Alperin Shengun, and you don't have minutes for them. And Shen Gun might have been the most impressive rookie on that Rocket squad so far. A Rocket squad that drafted Jalen Green second overall. I do think Shen Gun has been probably better than Garou- better than Green. But, I mean, they're 2-16. I don't really want to sit here and argue that. I'm not that yeah. depressed. I have better stuff to do with my life than <laughs> to sit there and watch this 2-16 Rocket squad enough to know who is better with uh, with any sort of certainty. Mm-hmm. And Garou has been positive in the minutes he's been on the floor, especially on the defensive end. I just think that they both need a bigger opportunity. Yep. It, it, uh, I think that even just, even if there isn't, even if there isn't, even if they, they didn't think that they, even if they don't go and get top five pick, they need to clear out minutes for Garuba. He needs a, he needs an opportunity. He needs an opportunity. Shengun needs an opportunity. Wood needs an opportunity, not at the four. Christian Wood has clearly shown he is not a four. <laughs> There's one thing this season that taught us Christian Wood is a not yeah. a four. Unless you got a stretch five who can give him the space to still be a pick and roll ball hand, pick and roll uh, roll man, Christian Wood is not mm-hmm. a four, and that has been that that has been probably the biggest, I guess maybe not revelation. I think that's why his value is dropping. I, I just I've been so shocked with how the Rockets have handled it. I didn't think he would make the. I didn't think he'd be on the roster this year. I thought there was no way he wasn't getting traded during the off season. I, I wasn't expecting him to release statements about how excited he is to be with the Rockets to stay with the Rockets. If I were the Rockets, he'd be gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'd be gone. And maybe if we get this done soon, I'll do some tra- some trade some trade opportunities. But I- I'm shocked that Wood is still on this team. I think Ch- Chaz froze. I was expecting him to hop in right there. Um, so we'll probably hear him in a second. With yeah, the, no, the I mean, I thought Christian Wood was definitely someone get killed. All right, I'm just gonna edit that out and. Uh... I hope in the post, we'll see. Um, but yeah, no, Wood is someone who's really talented, yeah. but hasn't been—he hasn't been given—he uh, hasn't shown out. I kind of there's some good trade ideas out there for him. 
Tice was such a weird signing for me. I heard that maybe the signing was agreed to before the drafting of Shangun, <laughs> or he was signed with the intention of eventually trading him. Uh, I don't think Tice has done an incredible job showing his value for as a trade candidate. Uh, so I kind of just think it would be better to keep him. I, I would take him over any of the other non-Guruba Shangun duo just because of his basketball IQ and the mentorship that he can give those two as a defensive player, especially and if they can get another big. He's He's been such a good defensive hybrid post. Having that in in your building would be huge. Yeah. I, I get why keeping him would be on the table. But I am going to say, I don't think you keep more than one of these these six guys. Mm-hmm. Tate and Martin, I like them both. But quite quite frankly, I, I don't know what you're doing with, with six guys in this 4-5 role. And Tate, Tate, I think, should be gone. Tate, I think, is great. But I think he's someone who has a lot of value. Mm-hmm. KJ Martin low-key walked so that Bruce Brown could be the second best player on, the, on a second-round playoff series team. Hot take only. <laughs> but I think both of those guys are expendable. I think at least one of them should be expended sooner than later to free up some time. Like they, you, you just have too many players right now playing this role, and we go through it. And I want to say all these—it's just too many guys. Yeah. No, I mean Jayshon Tate, someone who can contribute to winning on any team. I think he'll be someone I think is a hot commodity at the trade deadline for anyone who wants a a three-four who's just going to run the floor, play hard defense, keep the ball moving. Daniel Tice, you mentioned, is probably the best one to stay around of the lot just because he can provide that mentorship. He's also on a smaller deal and someone who can all, will always be able to be moved, I think. So even if you have him around and then 12 games into the season next year, you decide, okay, we don't need him anymore, someone will pick up Daniel Tice because he is a very valuable asset to pretty much any competitive team. And Christian Wood is someone who we both, I think, thought was going to be dealt and still do think he's going to be dealt along with Eric Gordon and there's going to be some major changes to this Rockets roster, but it doesn't really change the fact that they're still going to have like three, four, at least young guys playing that four or five role and then probably a top five pick. So it's going to be a little wild to see what they end up doing this year. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what they do, but I'm also, I don't know. I think they, ha- I don't have trade ideas for Tate and Martin and I don't think they're going to be able to trade Tice just, for one, you can't right now. But if you look at Garuba and Shangun, mm-hmm. do you think maybe they got too far even just drafting both of them? I, I think they got too far drafting both of them and not giving them an opportunity to play together right away. Yeah. Uh, especially because I don't know how they fit with most of these top four guys. And obviously that's a problem you deal with in the future, a problem of too many riches. But Shangun's defensive versatility next to Garuba's Shangun's offensive versatility next to Garuba's defensive versatility, I think is a great fit. I think they kind of hope that they can get the third so they can get Jabari Smith. <laughs> I think he would fit really well with those two. Yeah. But the other guys, I don't know how those fits are going to work. Holmgren, Boncaro, Duren, all, I, I think that they would uh, struggle with the limita- limitations that Garuba and Shangun have on uh, the opposite ends of the floor to their talent. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it's a good problem to have with too many riches, but I, I just think they need to get Garuba minutes right now so that they yeah. can figure out what he is. Mm-hmm. Is or Did you just spend a first-round pick on a guy who... I mean, his time in the G League hopefully will, will help him continue to develop and improve because it did look he did look a little bit lost on the NBA floor every once in a while. Like His defense, yes, it's there, but offensively especially, and, and then just learning the defensive rotations and more of the, the speed of the game, I think is something that he's going to need to catch up to. And same thing for Shangun. I mean, a lot of these guys from Europe, 
it usually takes a little bit longer. So that's something I'm sure the Rockets are backing on, but it's just how, how long you want to keep drafting these high picks and hoping that they all pan out. And then if you are continuing to draft high-level lottery picks, why are you drafting guys at the same position? Because there's no real opportunity to see any of them pan out because if one of them does, it's probably because all the other ones aren't playing or didn't play well enough. So it's a it's an interesting state, interesting situation that they're dealing with over there in Houston. And I mean, like you mentioned, that's not a bad way to start a rebuild, to have a wealth of riches. But at some point, they're almost thinking like, okay, see where it's, you have all these picks. Are you going to make the drafts? Are you going to make the trades? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm uh I'm with you there. Trade them and away and try to find someone new. And speaking of trades, I uh, I want to talk about uh, Christian Wood trades really fast. Wood is, in yeah. my opinion, best as a pick and roll five, as we said. I uh, if the if the Rockets are probably gonna want more picks than players, just because they they're missing some of their own picks in the future, and quite frankly, they have a ton of players. The only spot where they really have a hole is a true wing. They have three guard size players in the development farm already with uh, mm-hmm. KPJ, Jalen Green, Josh Christopher. We just went through the logjam that is their front court. Wood's only on a $13.67 million contract this year. It's not a crazy salary to match. I think that Wood is probably just a one-first kind of guy. I wouldn't be shocked mm-hmm. if he gets more than two firsts, but I think that would take a desperate team, maybe a first and a swap. I don't know. Let's let's go through it. There's I, I found 13 trade deals that I think are good. <laughs> Uh, we're going to go through four. We're going to go through four yeah. that I thought were good. And then the get first, out of here. We're going to get out of there. The first mm-hmm. that made the most sense to me, uh, I've been pitching for literally the entire offseason. The Bucks and Brooke Lopez, their 2028 <laughs> first and their 2029 first round swap for Christian Wood. Uh, Lopez has played one game this season. He's on the wrong side of 30. Injured. Wasn't even around for the best for the best minutes with, uh, with Giannis. I think Wood can learn to become a satisfactory defensive center when he's surrounded by a talent that he would be surrounded with in Milwaukee. And I think he can do most or all of the offensive stuff that Brook Lopez brings to the Bucks. I uh, don't know that he'd be able to unlock that kind of uh, Giannis at the five that you hope with a trade. But I do think that he can help out with that. Definitely with his, his floor spacing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. No, 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 maybe I'm giving a little too much credit, but I still just think that, that changing up Brooke Lopez with one game played is someone who you should be looking at moving off of. Yeah. Just in terms of we want to keep this run going, adding some youth, adding someone who didn't who had a, a lot of time off last season is a good way to go about doing it. Mm-hmm. And putting Christian Wood on a winning team finally, I think could unlock a lot of some of the stuff that maybe they think he's not able to do or do at a high level, put him on a chance to compete for a championship, and you might see... The absolute best version of Christian Wood. Also, Christian Wood is 25 years old, and there is no youth on this Milwaukee Bucks team. Yeah. So, yes, you're giving up some draft capital, but you don't have any youth in your system. Or draft picks. (laughs) Or draft picks. You you need something. The next time you have a draft pick, Giannis will be done his Supermax. Mm -hmm. Or or whatever his extension on, his designated veteran extension, whatever. He's going to be done that by the time that uh, you get, by that first round comes. Giannis will be, I'm trying to do the math. 30? 31? Over 30. Well over yeah. 30. I think 33. By the time that 2028 first hits. Giannis is the one of the youngest players on your roster right now. If you're not counting Jordan Nora and Georges Kalitz. I can't pronounce his name. Kalitzitsis. 
I think he's like the fourth youngest player on this team right now. You know, same age as Semi Ojale, uh, a little older than Dante DiVincenzo and Grayson Allen. Fifth youngest, fifth mm-hmm. youngest player on this team. At least you're adding a little bit. You're you're swapping your your oldest player for one of the for what who will be one of your youngest players now. I, I think that's an that's important. Yeah, I think that's a good. I think that's worth the value. Uh, the next deal that I like is Dallas. Mm-hmm. I like the fit. I love the fit of uh, Porzingis. I would do Dwight Powell and two firsts for Wood. I love the fit of Porzingis with Wood. I love. I think it's all the best part of Porzingis and Powell combo. But Wood is way better and can shoot the three. And I think a Wood Luca PNR would just be absolutely deadly. I, I think there is an the extra first, two firsts here because Powell has another year on his deal and plays the position this logjam for the Rockets. The Rockets would wind up just waving him and have yeah. to eat two years of dead cap. Um, even if you think Powell, I think Powell's played better than you would than uh, expected this year. I think he's doing better than the net rating numbers say, and it's a better player than a lot of these numbers say. But quite frankly, the numbers say that he's not playing well. Yeah, and Jason Kidd doesn't seem to to be a big fan of his. Uh, Jason Kidd's a bigger fan of his than um, than Carlisle was, and I think he's right for that. But all that's to say is, I, yeah. I think the Wood Porzingis duo would work well. Two first seems like not a crazy price to me. Maybe that uh, opens up the world for them. The other Dallas deal that I like is uh, Dallas getting Drogic from the Raptors. Rockets get Dwight Powell and this season's Raptors and Mavs lottery protected firsts. And then the Raptors get Christian Wood. I uh, Ro- Ra- Rockets would get two first. Dallas gets another ball handler and a Luka friend and cap relief. And the Ra- Raptors get an actual center-sized player to play center. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think the idea of the Raptors getting a center is awesome. I like the idea of for the Mavs, I think they just need to do an upgrade at some somewhere. Could be Wood, could be Drogic. Either way, super interesting to me. And I think the Rockets just need picks. Yep. You Last, got one more? I got one more. Hornets have a really good one. The Hornets should just be all over this. Mason yeah. Plumlee and their next available first for Christian Wood. It works financially one for one. It solves the issue of the Hornets not having a center. The Rockets get a pick and can wave Plumlee this year. Or this offseason with minimal cap it. I think he's only guaranteed like 2.6 next year. I uh, I like it. I like it. And the horn- and I think that uh, Woody cannot be worse than Mason Plumlee. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sorry. I'm- family's good. getting on me. You're good. Let me cl- just quickly say this. There's uh, other teams that should look at it. The Clippers should look at sending stuff. The Lakers should look at sending Taylor and Horn Tucker. Uh, you're going to push back. But I think the Warriors... Might get wild and send Wiseman over if Wiseman if they can't find minutes for him. New Orleans could send someone. They have a ton of contracts that can match. Portland can send someone. The Kings could try to bring Wood in as a backup for a playoff push. There's a, a lot of opportunities. Even Boston, they've got Al Hort, maybe an Al Horford and Josh Richardson first round pick swap for Wood and Gordon. Um, a lot of opportunities. But yeah, let's close it out. Chaz has to get running. This has been the Ball Talk Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Ball Talk Official. If you're listening to this on YouTube or a podcast platform, please make sure you like, subscribe, rate, review, all that fun stuff. It's just an easy way for us to get the message out. And until next time, thank you for tuning into Ball Talk. It's Ball Talk. It's Ball Talk, baby. 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 Baby.